Hey, this is Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. Today, in our previous recording of our webinar Wednesdays, we go yet internal to our uh, co-op leadership with Dr. Dave Cornett. Our own Dr. Dave is our in-house agronomist. He's got his PhD from Colorado State, and he knows more about agronomy than the rest of us will ever think we think we know. And Dave is really focused in on what are the genetics of the seeds that are planted throughout the various temperate zones throughout the United States. If there was ever any armpit of the hemp industry when this thing got rolling out, it was with seed salesmen. People were selling seeds that no more would grow any more than I can grow hair. Okay, So the, uh, Dave really gets into the genetics, what we're doing, what we're not doing, what we need to look for as far as really understanding the agronomy and the growing of the hemp plant. Hello and welcome. This is Nick Walters with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. Welcome to our regularly scheduled uh, webinar Wednesday. And it is here yet again for us to have some good dialogue and conversation uh, about the hemp industry and to learn more from people who are making an impact uh, through the marketplace as well as bringing their knowledge to the table, which is part of what we have here today. So, we are, are glad to um, have as our guest one of our own. Uh, Dr. David Cornett is our in-house agronomist, and we are, are glad and tickled to death, as my grandmother would have said, to know that he is here with us and is helping us along to be um, uh, interacting in a way with other folks on the science side of everything from seed to to. Um, uh, understanding soil types and and uh, temperate zones and the things that uh, growers really no, need to know about uh, outside of the business side of, of what we do with the hemp once it's all grown up and ready to go. So uh, we felt that it was very important to have somebody on our team that worked for the co-op and didn't necessarily work for other entities who were selling stuff to the co-op, particularly like seed folks. we got some great seed uh, companies that we are doing work with, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, we thought it was best that we had somebody on our side of the ledger, if you will, uh, so that we, we knew that uh, uh, their interest was focused strictly on the co-op and, and, and our members. So uh, uh, Dr. Cornett is that person, and we are, are glad he's here. We're going to learn a little bit more about him and what an agronomist does and the things that are involved in agronomy and then talk about how that fits into the hemp industry as well. So, Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody. There, and, and Dave is here from um, uh, live and in person from uh, Denver, Colorado and uh, uh, out at the middle of Hemp Central. Uh, uh, it's all around him every, every, everywhere we go. So, Dave. Why don't we start off with you just giving us some background on you about um, where you did your undergraduate and and master's and where you got your Ph.D. and some of the cool things that you've been involved in in the in the world of agronomy. Well, uh, back in the dark ages, when I was a bunch <laughs> younger and not didn't have snow on my chin, I uh, did a bachelor's degree in, in uh, agronomy at Colorado State University. Um, few years after that, I uh, started and finished a master's degree in biology, but with an emphasis in uh, plant physiology, 
at the University of New Mexico. And from there, I went to uh, Ames, Iowa, and uh, was, in, was uh, a part of the, the Department of Agronomy at Iowa State for about three years. And then an opportunity to do something a little different uh, presented itself. And it was literally an opportunity to go home. So I went, I transferred from there back to Colorado State, where I learned something about controlled environments. And uh, my, my uh, believe it or not, even though it was in agronomy or was agronomy crop science related, um, my dissertation was fun. My dissertation project was funded by NASA. And uh, sometime after that, I actually went to work for an outfit uh, associated with the University of Wisconsin. Uh, also funded by NASA. And while I was there, we had um, an experiment. Well, we had two. One was a little more memorable, um, fly aboard the space shuttle. The same, it was actually the same flight that John Glenn returned to, uh, to space on. Um, really, really memorable um, experience for a kid that used to stand in front of the, the TV completely agog while... Uh, there were news reports and things about uh, Gemini and later about Apollo. And to this day, I can remember watching Neil Armstrong step onto the moon. So wow. it's, it's, uh, I've been lucky to do some really, really cool stuff with agronomy. Never regretted it in a moment in my life. That's terrific. And, and so that was your PhD dissertation that was funded by NASA. Is that what you Correct. Saying? Right. Right. So, Help us understand, pretend like you're talking to me, okay, <laughs> who is, is a, one of the least science people that you probably will ever hang out with. Um, and for those of us that have not been involved in production agriculture or in farming or growing otherwise, tell us really what an agronomist does. What, what is an agronomist? What, what, is, what is her or his job? Well, agronomy itself is probably most simply uh, the study of crop agriculture. It has nothing to do with uh, raising animals or you know integrating animals and, and crops, things like that. Uh, it touches on that, but but agronomy itself is crop agriculture, and an agronomist is not a botanist, not someone who works exclusively with with plants. An agronomist. Um, has a much broader uh, perspective than that. Um, when we're coming up through the ranks, we learn about crops, we learn about uh, soils, we learn about seed, we learn about chemistry. We get exposed to the entire spectrum of scientific um, of the scientific world uh, on a on a limited basis. Because, well, I did because my my focus was in crop science. Um, but it, it's something that I wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid. And I've never regretted this because it, it exposed me to a very, very wide um, spectrum of scientific disciplines, uh, something I've never regretted. Uh, I come from a, a family that goes many, many generations back in agriculture. I'm the first one that, that grew up in town. And if you will, pardon mm. the pun. I returned to my roots and studied agriculture. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but uh, agronomy is one of the coolest things I studied as an undergraduate was soil, were the, the classes I took in soil science, because 
I had no idea that it was that complex. And it, it's something I have never, ever um, not been fascinated with. In fact, when I was in graduate school, I took, even though I was focused on plants, um, I took more courses in crop, or I'm sorry, in soil chemistry, plant nutrition, things like that, because I wanted to understand it from both. I want to be able to understand both sides, soils and plants. And uh, that's probably more in, uh, more answer than you wanted, but that that's what an agronomist does. That's excellent. So um, is it the kind of thing, just to make it even simpler, let's just say for the uh, weekend gardener who might uh, be planting a vegetable garden. An agronomist might be the kind of person that said, well, it depends on what kind of watermelons you want to grow, and it depends on the variety it will grow, and we can't, just because a watermelon might grow well in New Hampshire doesn't mean it's going to grow well in, in uh, Texas. And so not only about the, the, the temperate zones and how that fits, but it could be saying that if you want to get a good watermelon crop, you need to build up a little mound to put it on and put the seeds down in the middle of it because that's the way it will grow because it's going to have a vine. And, the, and I'm maybe being a little silly, but I'm just saying those kinds of things are the things that an agronomist is going to be able to tell me uh, and help me uh, understand better because ultimately what I'm trying to do is grow a crop of watermelons and, and, and to help me understand that best way to do it including the stuff that's on the back of the seed package that's telling me the best way to grow it. Those are the kinds of things that an agronomist would be involved in. Is well, that- not, you're, I, I'm just going to split a hair here just for clarification. Do, please. Um, watermelons and things like that, you're a vegetable garden in your backyard, that's going to come under the heading of horticulture. Huh. Agronomy is, is specific to field crops. Got it. Okay. So and, if I wanted to plant a uh, hundred acres of corn or cotton, then I need to know my agronomist, maybe. Right. If you want to, if you want a, a you know a, a one acre um, vegetable garden to get you you know to can and get you through the winter, then you probably want to talk to a horticulturalist and or extension. But um, an agronomist is a resource person to help uh, answer questions to plan strategies, things like that. If you are growing field crops and maybe you wanna change, you wanna change your crop rotation, you wanna go from one plant to another to establish a crop rotation. Um, you're having something, you're having trouble with your soil. You're having um, some critter chewing on your crop that you've never seen before. Uh, you've got a disease that, that you don't know what to do with. That's where you would start with an agronomist. Got it, cool. So. Let's take that now into the hemp industry. Okay. Um, when you are dealing with a crop that's been illegal for as long as it was, uh, even though it's got a pattern of, of, obviously before it was illegal, it was still growing and, and there were plenty of places and uh, the, 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 the knowledge about what will grow and where it will grow and, and, and how it will grow, <clears throat> Tell me the things that are that are kind of things that we don't know yet and, and things that we do have a good idea about in the kind of the greater corpus part of, of what would be the agronomy for him. 
this this is I appreciate that. It's really a great question because um as you say, there was a there was a before time before it was illegal. And uh in colonial America, farmers were actually required to to uh put a, a, a part of their acreage into hemp. Um rather unlike what it's been for the last hundred years. Um, all that said, um, with hemp and, and cannabis, cannabis and um, hemp are the same plant. The difference is uh, strictly a legal uh, di distinction on how much tetrahydrocannabinol or THC it has. That's the only thing that separates them. Uh, I don't want to get into that, but the point I'm trying to make is that the uh, uh, because it was illegal, um, other crop agriculture has uh, moved forward over the last seventy-five to one hundred years in just huge, huge ways. Corn, soybeans, small grains, um, alfalfa, forage grasses, things like that. They have all moved forward. Um, Thousands of, of agricultural scientists have uh, contributed to that, and all of those books—the the the the, uh, the knowledge, the management, all of those that information for those crops has been written, and uh, it's, mm. it's easily accessible. Hemp, because it was illegal, if you go to that book, that book, it's a it's essentially empty. There are some there are some uh, bits and pieces of information. But by and large, um, this is something that, that crop scientists are going to have that get involved with hemp, like myself. This is something we're going to have to figure out and write the book as we go. It's, it is an unbelievably exciting opportunity for a crop scientist because the advantage is with all of those other crops, the why, the why and the wherefore have been developed. So now all we have to do is apply that to hemp. The learning curve is going to be faster, but uh, because of the demand that it, that it is showing, it's going to be steeper as well because people are going to want to know more faster. And because, of, I mean, for good example, there are no insecticides, there's no herbicides, there's no uh, pesticides of any kind available for hemp at this point, like there are for so many other crops, because it's been illegal, and all of those those verify, all of those uh, permissions, if you will, have to be routed through FDA and and and, uh, uh, and uh, the EPA before they can be labeled for hemp. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be a part of writing that book. And we, uh, to, to expand on one of your another of your questions, uh, or going back. Hemp is a little bit, is a lot like soybeans in one regard. It has a light, a day-night um, balance aspect that, um, that, that is required to help it flower. Um, there is some advantage in that because we understand how that works now. We can apply that. But as a result, um, not all uh, of the varieties of hemp out there are going to do well the stuff that, that has been developed for Canada is not necessarily going to do well in the Southeast. And um, uh, the ones that have, been that have been developed for Colorado aren't necessarily going to do well in New York. Um, this is part of, of that 
that writing that new book is figuring this out as we go to identify. In soybeans, there is a map called a, um, a maturity map that identifies which varieties will grow well at what latitudes, what areas, something like that for um, um, hemp does not exist. It would be helpful, but it, it, it will come with time. It will come with time. So these other crops that have had, that didn't have a, a lag, a stop of, of being illegal in the middle of all that, they've continually been able to be looked at, tweaked, moved around, explored, the, uh, things like this maturity map you're talking about as an example. But when you stop for 75 years where you don't have any R&D going on and you don't have any other trials going on and other things happening like that, it's just going to take a while to get the curve caught back up on. Right? Exactly. Well, and, uh, uh, maybe a really good example of that is that uh, all of the legal crops, things like corn, soybeans, small grains, People have been working on the genetics of that, developing very specific varieties that have very specific combinations of traits uh, that, are, that are gonna do well in any particular um, growing area. Hemp has not been allowed to, to be explored like that. And as a result, hemp genetics are a mess. There, you, know, you, you, you never know exactly what you're gonna get. And there's going to be, once it kicks in, there's going to be extensive breeding programs uh, going on to try and stabilize the genetics and get to allow hemp to catch up to so that we there are reliable varieties out there that are low in THC, but they also but their uh, agronomic characteristics, fiber, grain, um, uh, drought tolerance, uh, those kinds of things. All of those things will come with time, but if but that's the thing is it's going to take time. Well, that's a great that's a great leeway into my, my, my next question when you were talking about the genetics piece. Let's kind of bring it back home then again to our to a lot of our hemp growers and people who not folks of ours that are in the co-op because we've got a you to help us sort through all of this. But we have heard, you know, all the horror stories, right, of people that bought, you know, thousands of dollars worth of seeds and they got just junk, you know. Uh, they were just trying to get the, you know, get something in the ground, or, or maybe they were told something was going to grow and they didn't know. And you've got, you know, a broker out there that's handling the seed on behalf of somebody else who's really the one that's got the seed. You know, I mean, hey, this grows great in Poland doesn't mean it's necessarily going to grow great in Oregon, right? Or it exactly. could, or you would think it might, or whatever. So, how does somebody who is um, uh, wants to grow hemp and doesn't have uh, a co-op to help them sort through all of this, how do you make a determination what's real and not real? I mean, if I go to my, if I go to a local seed store, um, there's probably going to be somebody in there that can at least let me know that these big boy tomatoes are going to grow. I understand that's horticulture. Okay. I'm not trying to, but, but there's somebody there that would help me understand those kinds of things because of these genetics and this other stuff you've talked about, it just seems like a Pandora's box of trying to go figure this spaghetti maze out of all of this stuff as it relates to seed. Well, that was those a statement not, and a question. Okay, I guess I'll all that. But. Those are not necessarily poor examples uh, or, or analogies. Um, 
for someone that doesn't have a resource person like an agronomist or a co-op uh, that, that they have that they can go to for advice or um, uh, recommendations, um, it's a crapshoot. Um, as you said, I just recently heard that, that someone last year, sometime in the last two years, bought a, um, a large, a relatively large acreage uh, or a, enough seed for a, a sizable acreage for hemp. And what came up was hollyhocks. And um, that's not cool anywhere. That's not right. cool anywhere. Um, the, 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 since I've been a part of the co-op, what we've been trying to do is um, identify the premier um, seed producers, or at least those that, that we feel most confident about. And we've, done, we've identified a couple of what we, what we characterize as tier one uh, producers. Uh, they've been at it a long time. I've talked to them. Uh, they're science people. I understand the procedures they're using, the rationale they're using to develop their genetics things like that. And these are the ones that we're going to work with as far as um, those that we recommend to our, uh, our growers. And um, quite honestly, uh, these are ones that I would like to work with in a scientific context uh, to take advantage of their expertise, uh, their growing records, and that kind of thing to actually as, as time develops and, and, and uh, permits to develop uh, new genetics, new from, from scratch that will be specifically created for the Southeast. Um, and, and ultimately, I want to you know, work with these other growers to try and, and create genetics that are ideally suited for um, all, all the different regional areas uh, so that um new york um oregon arizona california colorado all have uh genetics that are suited to their environments suited to their climates um that kind of thing so that it improves the 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 uh the likelihood that our growers will succeed if they if they grow uh, the seed that's appropriate for their area so let's just say that I don't have a resource like the co-op to help me out. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm envisioning that. I think it was State Farm that had a commercial about this guy that meets up his friend is on the on the um, on the sidewalk. And he asked her, he said, hey, how are things going with your with your uh, 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 dating life? She goes, oh, I'm, I've met a guy from France and uh, uh, this is an international a date I'm going on tonight. And this guy walks up, who's an obvious doofus, and they, and the guy says, "Oh, you're from France?" And he goes, "Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm from France." And so the guy's laughing at like, "Well, you know, don't just because you got on the internet and somebody said it was real doesn't mean that it's real, right?" That was the the the, the poor way of me being able to tell that tell that commercial. It kind of reminds me of this. Or, I mean, how do I differentiate? How would I know what is a seal of approval what is a, a way to say yep this seed is going to work where you are but and and then juxtapose that to say those intangibles that you can't control bugs weather soil conditions 
things like that, where a, a seed broker may have very well sold you some seed with the full intention and belief that it was going to go well. Maybe you're just a cruddy farmer and you just don't know how to grow it. I mean, all of this seems to kind of go on in, in the picture right there, but let's those that's a huge statement, not much of a question. Let's go take it in pieces. So in the piece of saying, how would I know just on face value or otherwise that this is legitimate seed and I'm not going to get, you know, pumpkins pulling out of the ground when I think I'm growing hemp? Well, there's, there's, two, there's two, two prongs to that answer, if you will. One, um, if you really don't have um, a resource like the co-op or um, that you, do, you, know, you, you don't know an agronomist per se, um, one of, the, one of the, the good ideas would be to contact the, uh, the agriculture department in whatever state you're in uh, or the agronomy department of whatever, you know, what, whatever uh, land-grant university is in your state. Talk to them. Most states are now developing uh, because of the 2014 and 2018 farm bills that legalized uh, hemp production and agriculture. Most states are now developing or most land grant universities are developing um, some expertise. It may be that somebody just picks it up, but um, they're developing some expertise within the department uh, for hemp. Another way um, is most states have a, uh, a seed certification program. Uh, it, that serves two purposes. One, uh, it sets rules and regulations on how seed, and it's not just hemp, every, all, all the different seed has to be prepared, has to be cleaned, how, you know, the... Uh, what germination uh, percentages are required, uh, how many weed seeds uh, it can have, how many, the, most of them say no noxious weed seeds, um, those kinds of things. Um, that's a really, really good, uh, what's more is most of those also have sort of a, a hand in glove relationship with um, seed Oh, how do I put this? Um, a seed certification agency within the state that um, works with farmers who are trying to, to produce the very best quality seed um, available. They get premium prices for it, but it also costs more to do it because they have a lot of rules and regulations about how it's produced. Um, those those kinds of agencies guarantee genetic purity, um, uh, the fact that you're going to get what you want. Uh, there's generally a couple of different levels of that. With that, that you, you know, if you want to try and save a few bucks, but still get make certain that you get good seed. Um, all of those agencies, to a greater or lesser extent, belong to a uh, generally belong to a much larger um, group called. AOSCA. It's the Agencies of Official Seed Certification Agent um, Association of Official okay. Seed Certification Agencies. And that is literally an international body, um, primarily North and South America, uh, Australia, New Zealand, a little bit in South Africa, 
I mean, it's literally a worldwide uh, kind of thing, but it is sort of the umbrella organization for all of these seed quality, seed purity, seed uh, handling uh, agencies that are scattered throughout state government, through the universities, et cetera. All testing, seed testing labs, even if they're not affiliated with the university or the government, generally belong to this, this group as well. So it's a self-governing thing. This is not, this is somebody who says, you know, it's kind of like ASTM something maybe, or, or kind of like um, another group that says like the, uh, um, the Bar Association, right? We've exactly. got standards that we as a group understand if you're going to get our good housekeeping seal of approval, then they, they have set the standard that, that people understand, no, we are the dictionary. No, no, no. I'm Noah Webster. This is how you spell this word correctly. And you're exactly. not going to jail if you get your I and your E backwards after your C. But but what you are going to know is, is that other people are going to be looking for that standard. And if you can't make, meet the standard that we as an industry understand that where that bar is, then you're below that. Exactly. The um, If you get a OSCA certification or any level of that, you have a minimum expectation that uh, what you're getting is going to be um, what, what you want is what you're getting, or I'm sorry, what you're getting is what you want. Um, it is not you're not going to get it from some fly-by-night outfit that uh, you know you may get a combination of hemp and corn. Um, the uh, it is a self like the, maybe like the bar uh, the bar association. That's probably not a terrible example. Um, it is a group of seed professionals who have come together and established the the, uh, the standards by which seed is tested, um, the procedures, everything. Just like the bar, uh, the bar uh, association defines criteria that lawyers must adhere to 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 be considered, you know, within within the the, the bounds of appropriate behavior. Um, for what it's worth, this is not some new agency. EOSCA was uh, originally born in 1919. So they're all, they've already been at it 100 years. And the fact that they cover at least, what, four different continents, or they're involved in four different continents, that's not a, um, they, we're not talking about a fly-by-night group. Right, 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 right. So, so I might look for a seed to see if it has been AOSCA certified. If it's been AOSCA certified, my comfort level ought to go up or my anxiety ought to come down some to at least know that there are a bunch of PhD types like you that are checking all this stuff out to be able to understand, yep, we our good, our thumbs up approval means something. And, and so uh, we have gone through the rigorous checking of this seed and it and if it says it's going to be producing this kind of hemp variety then that's exactly what kind of variety it's going to produce exactly the um if you if you buy a oscar certified seed you can be uh, you can be assured that what you get in the bottom of the bag is going to have very strict standards about what, how many weed seeds are going to be in there if any um there, it's very likely that there will be no noxious weed seeds that the uh, that it will be the variety that you have purchased or that you think you've purchased, 
and you will understand what the, the germination percentages are. You can rest, you can sleep a whole lot better at night knowing that you bought the, uh, the certified seed and that you're not going to get something that, that is going to be junk. So, for example, our, 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 um, our friend uh, Adrian Zelski was on last, you know, last week with mm -hmm. us here with, with High Grade. And, and um, they just sent out a press release today, as a matter of fact, saying that one of their varieties uh, was approved by AOSCA. For me to know if I didn't know any better of, of the super details to know, look, they didn't just get that the day before yesterday because they filled out some paperwork. They've been going through a process. They've been talking to folks, their plant science folks have been talking to these other plant science folks to show, to prove, to tell, and it's a standard, and it's one that, that, but that doesn't mean though, I guess, just because somebody doesn't have AOSCA certification, doesn't mean that their seed won't do what it says it was gonna, is gonna do. It just means that it is the preferred certification and the standard that um, uh, is accepted throughout the industry. Exactly, it's the official stamp, if you will, maybe the gold standard would be a better way to put it. If you want to, I mean, yeah, you can you can buy you can probably go out and buy the uh, the same variety you were just talking about from uh, uh, high grade, but uh, if it's a, if it's Aosca, if you are buying Aosca certified or what somebody tells you is that variety, you can rest assured that the that the Aosca certified one is the one you want. The other one, there's going to be a lingering doubt. It's not that it's, there's no guarantee that you wouldn't get what you're looking for. But if you buy the certified and it's going to cost more, but you will also sleep better knowing that you are getting what you're expecting. Excellent. That makes a ton of sense. Okay. Hey, look, I want to open it up for any questions because you and I'll sit here and chat about this. <clears throat> um, so one of our questions, our friend Michael, um, who gets the gold star for our, our webinars, um, can you see that chat button? There, Dave, I don't know if you can see it down at the bottom. If not, I can read it to you. It's no big deal. So um, do triploid hemp plants exist today? Uh, give me just a second here. Um, the uh, triploid plants. Um, you call it trip or try? Obviously, I don't even know how, it, how to pronounce it. So it's triploid. Triploid. Okay, triploid let me give a little plants. bit of, of background. Can you see the full um, question? Hey, Dave, can you see the full question? No, uh, no, I can't. Okay, so let me let me finish the question. So, um, do they exist today? What do you think of using them as a means to prevent cross pollination of hemp, marijuana, and cannabis crops? This is a very very sharp question. I I appreciate it. I'm impressed. Um, well, that's Michael. That's the only kind of questions he asks or ones that I, make uh, a whole lot of sense I, in One second. Um, if you can see the little button down there that is the chat button. Are you all seeing me? Because I got something says about something about a practice session. <laughs> I can see you. Keep trucking. Okay, good. Just go all ahead right. and answer. All okay. right. Um, this is not a, a, a straightforward... I, a, let me give a little bit of background. Most genetics in organisms are referred to as diploid. And that, that refers to 
Um, the number of, of uh, for example, humans have um, 24 chromosomes. That is a diploid number. In certain situations, uh, circumstances uh, occur that, that where the, the chromosomes do not divide like they're supposed to during replication. And uh, so in, that, in a case like that, you would wind up with 48 chromosomes. That particular one would then be called a tetraploid, double diploid. So it's tetraploid. Now, okay. where triploid comes from is when you take a diploid organism and a tetraploid and you put them together, when, when they divide the right way, you're going to have three sets instead of four or two. Oh, That's okay. where triploid comes from. Um, I do not try. know. It's What's the that? try of the three. It's kind of exactly. what you're saying. Okay. Exactly. It's the cross between a diploid and a tetraploid. Um, I am not. I am not an encyclopedia about all of this stuff. I do not. I have not heard of any triploid varieties in hemp, and I've not heard of any tetraploid uh, varieties in hemp. It's an interesting concept. Um, just to to to. Uh, there are um, there are certain field crops that are um, that are natural tetraploids. Um, certain varieties of, of barley are hexaploids. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and that's their natural state. I mean, um, that's the, that that's what everybody grows is a hexaploid. Um, I don't think because of the, the what I was saying about the the ban on research and everything else up to this point, um, I don't think anybody's even tried uh, to develop uh, tetraploids or or triploids. To answer the second part of that question, do I think that it would be um, a an answer to uh, to preventing cross pollination? Um, I'm going to have to just say that uh, admit that this is a qualified guest. Um, I can see, uh, the fact that they don't exist, and I that I don't haven't read any research on it um, is where the qualification comes from. But I think that there's probably at least some some. It's an interesting question, something that I think bears checking out. If there are uh, such things, I think. I think it probably would, would uh, I mean, it, 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 there are no two and a half ploids that I know of, which would be diploid and, tri and triploid. I don't know if any two and a half ploids. Um, that, that said, uh, I think there, there might be an incompatibility in the, the, the pollen of those two. Uh, I don't know that that's, that's the case. Um, the reason I the reason I qualify that is if you take the pollen from a diploid and the pollen from a tetraploid, that's how you wind up with triploids in the first place. So it's not complete, but the fact that there is no place, I mean, diploid and tetraploid, you can there is a settle point at triploid. If you take diploid and triploid, there's no settle point in the middle. So I think there might be a, a, a pollen incompatibility, but as I say, I've not seen any research. I've not even seen any whispers of it any place that I've seen. 
Well, that might give us a project. Give you, Michael. Maybe that's our project now. Okay. Yeah, but but um, uh, so do you think though that something like that could help prevent some cross pollination? Again, it's a qualified answer. I think that there is a rational scientific um, expectation that it wouldn't, for the reason that that there is no middle ground um, until it is absolutely tested. I mean, that's why people, that's sure. why scientists do experiments, is to right. test the idea. Um, right. Until somebody tries it, I don't know. Okay. Well, maybe that'll be a project we'll do. There you <laughs> All go. Right, so, yeah, but not today, not this afternoon. <laughs> hey, um, so Dave, tell us, let's end on this, if we will. Tell us a little bit more about the seed trials that we and the co-op are doing right now. And um, uh, just give a little bit more background about uh, uh, update on that and what we're doing okay. and why we're doing what we're doing. We are, we, the co-op, are in, currently involved in trying to set up and initiate some, uh, some seed trials in the American Southeast, those, those states that border the Gulf of Mexico. Part of the, re the, the primary reason is because there is a veritable uh, black hole of information about the production and growth of of, of hemp in uh, in the in the American Southeast. Nobody knows anything about it because it. it I mean, the University of Kentucky's done some stuff, but they have had uh, historically they've had horrendous time trying to get successful um, trials done because of the weather. Um, some other stuff further, a little bit, you know, some some preliminary stuff done further south, uh, get hammered by hurricanes, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, there just are no varieties that are uh, what I referred to earlier about uh, cannabis being more successful if you match it to a particular geographical area. There is nothing that exists for the southeast. And this is sort of an, a beginning attempt to try to correct that. Um, what we are doing now is work, we're working with one of those tier one groups that, that I referred to earlier um, out of Canada. And we are not expecting to have a lot of success with Canadian varieties in the American Southeast, but you got to start someplace. Right. And um, what we're doing is working with a few growers right now to to get whatever we can. If they grow six inches and die, that's information we didn't have before. If um, we can baby them along and we can get uh, what would normally be eight to 12 foot plants and they grow to three, that's information. Um, what we're trying to do is to get one or two crops of just, just get them up to the point they flower. We're not looking for seed, we're not looking for flower, we're not looking for anything but biomass at this point. We're, we, we're hoping we can get one, and maybe if the, the season lasts long enough because that, that the point from, from uh, planting to that, that biomass point, we may be able to get a second crop in. That remains to be seen. But the, uh, the idea is just to collect some experience and some observations with this one. I'm already working with two of our number one uh, or tier one uh, producers 
to try and develop a much more sophisticated, much more carefully planned out uh, seed trial with some new um, expectations, some new ideas um, that will start early, early next spring. That will allow those those cooler season or cooler environment varieties from Canada to get a a, a, a bigger start before the heat sets in. A bigger plant has a, be a better fighting chance, and that's at least that's what what uh, the way we're working toward it. All of this is designed to get information and make observations so that we have a be a, a place to begin to see where. The limitations are with growing um, at least some hemp seed in uh, the southeast. Ultimately, we will take those observations, the information that we've learned, and begin to work on developing genetics that are specifically bred and developed for the southeast for the greater heat. Um, maybe begin to get a little stiffer um, and will uh, survive some of the higher winds. Some of the, you know, maybe instead of drought tolerance, moisture tolerance, mm. uh, that kind of thing. Through it, develop genetics that will be specific to the southeast. That's that's our ultimate goal. Really cool. Well, we're glad to know that that um, that black hole is going to be smaller and uh, less deep uh, at, at the at the end of our trial. And it, it's uh, going to take a lot of shovels, but we're shovelfuls. But we're going to try. <laughs> Hey, you got to start, don't you? That's right. And you got to start someplace. You got to enter to win. So that's yep. a that's that's a huge piece of it. Well, um, Dave, thank you for for taking the time today to do it's this. It's been my pleasure. In the middle of doing all this good stuff and and other things for us at the co-op as well. And uh, we will have another series time. Another time we'll get Dave back on uh, to talk about specifically the things that we are doing around trying to find a different variety of seed for phytoremediation. We are um, well into the middle of all of that right now, and there's some really cool work. Some of it we're not ready to release yet, but, but at least those are, I know that we are working along some of those lines. Uh, next week as our guest for our uh, webinar Wednesday uh, is going to be um, uh, my and Dave's new uh, great friend, Will Watley uh, from Hempliance. Uh, it's gonna be on. They are bringing some really cool um, blockchain uh, compliance technology to the hemp industry. And we are, are glad to be able to use some of their technology as uh, uh, with several of our growers. They're intimately involved in this seed trial that we're doing. And so that's yes. uh, gonna be a part of all of that. So we'll uh, hopefully folks will tune in next week as well and be able to uh, talk a little bit more with Will. Um, if you are not on our uh, uh, email list. We would suggest that you might do that so you could learn more about our upcoming webinars. We've already got them booked up for the rest of May. Uh, I just got two booked up today that we will be doing in, in June. So uh, we're enjoying the, uh, uh, having people come in and share their knowledge and their time very much. So may I interject one last thing? You certainly may. Take um, the last word. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you can provide uh, all of our, our guests and growers with contact information. If someone uh, that's not involved in the, the seed trials has questions uh, that, that they can ask or that they'd like to ask of an agronomist, I'd be more than happy to uh, interact with them and, and uh, help all I can. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll certainly do that. Terrific. 
Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a, Have a great good day, day, everyone. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.